But in that, that sorting of all those limiting beliefs, I started clearing them out. And then I said, yes, let go and let God. I couldn't control what had happened. I couldn't stop that it happened. But now how was I going to carry it through my life? I carried it long enough for, for 60 years. It's like, it's time to let it go, Marty. You're not, it hasn't served you a purpose. It hasn't done you anything but stir up more ill feelings about everything bad that happened to you. So that's just, it, it, it gets to be a monster. It gets to be luggage. Hello and welcome to Grief, Gratitude and the Gray in Between podcast. This podcast is about exploring the grief that occurs at different times in our lives in which we have had major changes and transitions that literally shake us to the core and make us experience grief. I created this podcast for people to feel a little less hopeless and alone in their own grief process as they hear the stories of others who have had similar journeys. I'm Kendra Rinaldi, your host. Now, let's dive right in to today's episode. On today's podcast, I am chatting with Marty Smith. She is the author of Resilience Nourishes the Soul, How Overcoming Life's Speed Bumps Can Help You Bounce Back and Thrive. She is a bilingual coach, an Air Force veteran. She was born in Colombia, like me, <laughs> and she now lives in North Carolina with her husband, and we've actually met a few years back at a health and wellness event, which that is also part of her journey, her health and wellness journey, and we met then, but we're so excited to now have you here as a guest, Marty. Bienvenida. Thank you, Kendra. It's my, it's an honor and, and my pleasure to, to once again join you in, on a professional level before we were just seeing ourselves in the conference and just bonding. But um, I'm very grateful to be here and I, however I can help you deliver a message, I'm here. Well, I'm happy that you reached out once I, I, when I posted regarding having read so many books for all the authors I've interviewed, uh, interviewed on the podcast. You're like, me, me, I've got one. I've got a book. I'm like, send it my way. Let's do this. So it was a pleasure reading your, your book and getting to know you more in that book and your journey. And there's definitely been a lot of resilience and bouncing back in your life. So let's talk about you. Let's start off with sharing where, like you mentioned, you grew up in Colombia. So let's talk about your upbringing and what brought you to the U.S. I've had a, a very adventurous, dynamic life in, in, in 63 and a half years. I, um, I've moved 49 times in my lifetime. I have uh, been to three countries, uh, Colombia, Venezuela in the United States. I am an ex Air Force veteran. I, I've, I'm a Jackie of all trades and mistress of none. I've done everything that is non-traditional for a woman, especially in Latin America to do. I've been a carpenter. I've been a mechanic on the airplanes. I've um, been a business owner and everything else. The, the one thing that I never did was write a book. 
and I always had that in my dreams that one day I would write a book. And in a way, it did happen to come true. It was a competition for poetry. And this was probably about 2007. So it's, it's been several years. And I just kind of entered a contest because it was like money and write. And so I said, okay. But it was, I had been to a retreat in the, the church, at the Catholic church, and they said, we're going to do an exercise. You're going to write a psalm. And I said, a psalm? They've all been written in the Bible. What am I going to write? So um, they said, just write what, whatever comes to you. And and then I threw down praise ye for all things. And I started the poem. And I entered the competition right after that retreat. And guess what? They delivered the book. And I'm reading, there's several poems in there. And I'm reading the whole book. And all of a sudden, they didn't put my poem in there. The thing was, I had my thumb over the first front page, and that's where it was. And it's an international poetry competition. So I guess you can call me a poet laureate. Now, that was a taste of publishing, but it wasn't like, I just kind of put it aside. And then came the pandemic. And this is where things got really dicey because I've had, a, like I said, an adventurous life, but I didn't want to have flashbacks of some of the traumas I'd had in the past. I'd been um, in a wheelchair. I've had 26 orthopedic surgeries. I, I have literally, God has taken me, torn me apart and rebuilt me into a, a fresher, newer person. I, I want to say, I want to say, put a pause on that, but pin on that, as they say, let's put a pin on that because somebody listening to this doesn't know now that you are actually a coach. You coach people in the in their wellness journey. So you now at the age, a young age of, do you want to say your age? 63 and a half. 63 and a half. I'm very proud. <laughs> that, yeah. And you became a coach recently and you now help people transform not only their bodies, but it's also about mindset as well. And this is from someone that physically was in a wheelchair and has had all these uh, you know, surgeries. And now here you are building muscle and helping others strengthen their life. So sorry for, I'll take the pin off. Go ahead. Continue <laughs> so, your journey. So all this, all this, um, sitting at home and being locked in, I just, I couldn't stand the fact that I didn't want to watch TV. I wanted to, to learn. And that's the one common denominator in my life that has been a constant. And I, it's so grateful and it's been a blessing because wanting to learn made me want to find myself. I just didn't know how. I didn't have the guidance or the or the, the, the purpose-driven plan to do it. But in that pandemic, they offered a, a book camp, a, three, a free book camp. And I, I went in there, I said, let's see what they have. I, I got in there and it was a three-day thing. I had my book cover, my outline, my my whole theme of the book and everything and i was like this is it's happening it's happening and and i still pinch myself because i can't believe it i started writing the book in june of um 2022 and i had written a whole bunch of stuff in the past and i just threw it down in like a diary or whatever but never never really focused on any particular theme and then i said wow all these things that i have overcome there's always been that that reminder that God was there. I just didn't notice him or I was 
cocky and I'm going to defend myself and I'm the one that's going to manifest everything that happens to me. And so, no, I had it all, I had it all in here, but backwards. So this book kind of started, um, which was really interesting because by the time I finished it, it was like a healing process. I was throwing down everything that had affected me and caused me to realize I was resilient. But at the same time, I started changing the perspective of the things I had complained about or felt hurt with or everything else. And one of the ones that, that really took off like a domino effect was when I was seven years old, and this is the formative years, I don't have to tell anybody that, but when you are told you are a mistake, we didn't want girls. I was like, I didn't ask to be born, but at the same time, it was now that I see the change, the perspective, they did me a favor because it, it instilled a fire in me to, to have passion to prove that I was worthy, maybe not to the rest of the world, but to me. And when I lost the weight, I lost 70 pounds, 70 inches. I started gaining muscle mass. My confidence started building. And I said, okay, now we got to go to, I got the body. Now let's go to the mind. And I started clearing all the junk in the trunk that I had put in there all those limiting beliefs that, oh, woe is me, my life stinks, no one loves me, I don't know this, I don't know that. But I had not noticed all the miracles and all the blessings that were happening along the way. And so this book was a, a, a catharsis. It was a healing process beyond my imagination that I am so happy to share it with the world because that's what I want the world to say. Okay, maybe you won't follow everything in the book. I don't ask you to follow a recipe. What I ask you to do is take a look at yourself. First of all, we are responsible how we react, how we develop a plan or don't develop a plan. And then when you when you get older, you start looking back and going, oh, I coulda, woulda, and shoulda, but I didn't, and now I will. And so that's where I find myself now. So that's a little bit about how I've gotten to this point. <laughs> that is amazing. And the word resilience definitely defines you. Resilient. You are resilient. Now, define what the word resilient means to you. Or when you read and why it is you chose that word, that title for your book. When, when my life seemed to be crumbling and falling apart, when, when things really hurt deep and, and just took me to a different level of depression, then I said, no, no, I got to, I got to bounce back. I got to dust off, clear all this mess that I'm seeing, evaluate the situation and adjust, accept a lesson or, or something, but don't, don't let it affect me to the point that I don't want to move on. I don't want to progress. I don't want to do anything with my life because everything's the world's shut down on me. So it's bouncing back from, from anything that, that throws you out of the, out of the, the road. Yeah. Uh, having, um, a rubber butt, uh, rubber butt there. Yeah. Like, <laughs> like, like I say in my book, like, it's for the speed bumps of life because we do, yeah. we, we do have a roller coaster and, and, and some of it is pretty treacherous and we can just sit there in the ditch and forget, forget we even exist or pick up and find, and go. find your way back. 
So one of your chapters called Let Go of the Luggage of Your Past and is called Let Go, that's chapter five. And you start all your chapters with a quote mm-hmm. by M. Smith. Ooh, I wonder who is M. Smith <laughs> by you, which I love because that in itself is already having that little part of your poetry background there because you kind of get these little quotes. So this one is the past is the master of pain and love. Make sure you learn from them. So that in itself is a lesson then in resilience. You see it, you can see that the past is there and you can acknowledge that X, Y, Z happened to you or for you. (laughs) And now what are you going to, to do uh, about it? Right. So that, that in itself. So talk a little more about this, of the emotional luggage that we bring into our life and Mm. some of it that's happened to you and how you were able to master the letting go. Okay. So one of the, the major problems I had was holding on to things that were said to me and how I was affected by it. And I didn't know, perhaps my parents did tell me I was a mistake, but I didn't give them the benefit of the doubt that maybe they were having a bad day or maybe they just didn't know, they didn't have a manual to raise a child or or they weren't expecting anything to happen to their child because she got pulled out of one culture into another. And that was a lot of, the, I think that that was the, the behind the scenes cause of most, most of my parents um, upsetting. And so they didn't know how to, you know, take it out and they would just express things that really perhaps they, they never should have. But I don't, I don't blame them for it. And like I said, it, to me, it was something that, that made me say, okay, if I can't show them, I'm gonna show myself that I'm worthy. Surely I had been a, a rebel without a cause in my family because my brothers were the favored ones. So in this thing about the luggage, I kept saying, well, I'm a girl and they were going to accept me. So I started going to things that were non-traditional. I said, okay, well, if I, if I show them that I could fix a car and I could fix an airplane and I'm a carpenter, maybe they'll accept me. So I, I got, I got a little bit of tomboy in me, but, but I don't regret it because it's made me tough. But in that that sorting of all those limiting beliefs, I started clearing them out. And then I said, yes, let go and let God. I couldn't control what had happened. I couldn't stop that it happened. But now how was I going to carry it through my life? I carried it long enough for, for 60 years. It's like it's time to let it go, Marty. You not It hasn't served you a purpose. It hasn't done you anything but stir up more ill feelings about everything bad that happened to you. So that's just, it, it, it gets to be a monster. It gets to be luggage. And so when I lost the weight, I said, I'm making room in my body. So now I'm going to make room in my brain. And in that, I started to learn to focus better on what I really wanted out of life. And I started seeing all the, all the things that kept me from finding that clarity, from finding that, that focus and from pursuing whatever it was that I wanted to do instead of worrying, complaining, criticizing all the bad things that happened. And and it's a wonderful practice because I do feel a whole lot lighter and I do feel like I have more room to grow and, and learn and, and live and love and, and share. So. And, and that aspect of the transformation, the physical transformation, a lot of times we get so hung up thinking that it has to do with vanity. Mm-hmm. 
And it's so much deeper than that. Let's talk about that because you mentioned even the aspect of, again, allowing more room than for your own growth uh, as well. In your story, was there also this dynamic of the respect and value of yourself as a spiritual being having this, you know, as a child of God and that aspect of that in your transformation as well? Well, I had had... um Actually, this this part, I do know it happened a little bit in the past when I got out of the wheelchair. They found, I have a, a reflex sympathetic dystrophy, which is also known as chronic regional pain syndrome. I didn't know what they were talking about when that happened. And what it is, is that when you re-injure a limb, and I re-injured my knee, and it caused a, a like a short circuit in my autonomic nervous system. So everything that should have hurt didn't really hurt. And everything that didn't hurt felt like someone was injuring me. And it was really wild because even a, draping a sheet over me felt like someone was pricking me with glass needles. or needles mm. or, or mm. something hot. I could sit by a fireplace enjoying the, the, the Christmas and all of a sudden I look at my leg, whoa, it's getting hot. You know, so I don't, you didn't have that reflex to pull away. So I had a, a mass confusion in my brain. So they put... Um, the this atrophied my muscles and that's why I ended up in a wheelchair but thanks be to God I found a doctor that that discovered what I had and he said you are a perfect candidate for a spine stimulator and I'm like what is that I don't know what you're talking about he says it's like a pacemaker and I said wait a minute there's nothing wrong with my heart he said it's the size of a pacemaker it's an implant that we put a wire through your vertebral column and it's going to fire a signal from your brainstem telling your muscles to innervate. And maybe that will get you out of that chair. And I was like, okay, it was either that or go in a coma. And I didn't feel like doing that. <laughs> so they, they did a massive amount of um, a battery of uh, psychological and physical tests to see if I was a candidate for it. And they had just started this when I was going through all that. So that was kind of like a, I was an experiment, a guinea pig. They implanted me with that. I didn't I didn't really have any reaction until about a month after the fact. And I started feeling like my my muscles twitching and everything. I was like, oh, this is different. Because I had already gotten to the point where I was trembling so much I couldn't even hold my body up. And this spine stimulator started generating that innervation of muscles to cooperate with my brain signals to ask me to move and, and do everything that we take for granted. Cause I promise you from that point on, I have never taken it for granted. So during that time, when I got up out of that wheelchair, that's when I, I reconfirmed my faith in God. And I said, God, wherever you want me, however you want me, I am yours. And I did. And, and in that he started in, and I was really hard on myself because I had become severely depressed about being in a wheelchair. So I started reviewing all those things that I was not good at. And one of them was, how could I have not had children for my husband? So I started, you know, just what was me? And that was the, I was very negative because I was raised in a toxic environment of negativity. So that's all I knew. But then I started saying, wait a minute, God started putting the, the replacement of what would have been my own children. And by, by his grace, I now have kids that were eight years old. They received their, their sacraments in the church. And now they're grown 
children married and have followed the footsteps of catechism. And to me, that's fruits of labor that I never imagined. And, and in fact, the parents of these kids, I know the parents, they're like, they're more friends with you than they are with me. I said, because I'm their friend, I'm not their mother. But to me, it's awesome that God showed me that just because I didn't have my own children didn't mean I couldn't have the glory of enjoying the youth. And, and that has been a, a driving force in me too. Because when you, when you see the love that is not blood related, that's when God puts, puts it all in perspective. You, we are here to coexist. We are here to help each other. We are here to pay it forward. No matter what we go through, we can help each other back up. And that's the mission I have now, to, to drive hope in people. I don't care if you're, you're a teenager. I don't care if you're an adult. I don't care if you're an elderly person. We all have that moment in time when we say, ah, it doesn't, it's not going to get any better than this. But no, no, it can and it will if you drive yourself to do it and see the gift and the miracle you are in, in this world. There's no one like you. Oh, que bella. Uh, <laughs> I wish I could just go through and give you, touches my love language, one of my love languages. I would be yeah. hugging you. That's I how am I too. would. And, and hugs, hugs are, are very, oof, I get a hug and that's my, my, my vitamin for the day because it is important. Yes. Thank you for sharing that. It was just so from the heart and it's, it's so true because you, you, there was something that was sad for you. The fact that the idea of your life of what it could have looked like, you just didn't end up having children of your own to be given the opportunity to see other children, not only just grow and thrive for you, the part of seeing their spiritual growth as well was so important and you being part of that journey as well. Very impactful to see that in, in, and they tell me that Miss Marty, Miss Marty, if it hadn't been for you, I don't know where I'd be. And I said, well, if it hadn't been for you, I don't think I'd be here. <laughs> so it, it's really, it, it's beautiful. It's a beautiful experience. And I, I recommend that everybody take a look at deeper at what they really, how they touch everyone's lives in their life. And they will notice and they will be grateful and they will see that there is a whole lot more that we don't hold ourselves responsible for that we do we do impact people. Everything Absolutely. that we, we do in life impacts people around us, not just us. So that's why God put a whole bunch of us in here. <laughs> Let me ask you, just like you are being this guiding light for these young you know, now adults, but that you, you kind of saw them as they were younger growing up. Who, who was someone for you that was that for you in your youth? Or were you able to find that was later on in your life? Someone that really did see you as more than, as you said, your parents had said, a mistake. Who was that? Who were some of these individuals that were able to pour in that greatness into you that, you know, belief into you until you believed it yourself. And some of those are, are really interesting because of Columbia having in Columbia, we had maids for every reason and season. But since I kept moving back to the United States, I kept looking for the maids because they weren't there. 
and I would love I would love to visit Colombia and see the maids because why they gave me they taught me tender loving care they took care of me like their own children and I I was very grateful for that and I didn't want to leave and I always wanted to get adopted somehow or another but I was a rebel because I was also raised in blue blood and so you had to ring a bell so if you wanted a glass of water you had to ring a bell to go get it and I would go to the kitchen and pour the water in and I and they, they would bust me and say, why are you serving your glass of water? That's what this little bell's for. And yet at the same time, we'd go back to the States. I'm looking for the bell. I'm, look, I'm all confused. So all that stuff made me a mess. But I, I would see, and in writing this book, I would see that those people taught me tender, loving care. My, uh, my grandmother, my grandmother, we would go see her once a year. And I wanted to just hide under her bed and and let my parents go and me stay with her because she she was always very loving very in that touch that 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 hug that I, I felt like a, a million dollars you know and, and things like that but then as I got older in I got a I went back to school after I was in the wheelchair I went back to school and the teacher I went to tech school. I said, I'm going to do a two-year program because I'm tired of watching uh, Oprah on TV. I can't find enough channels on TV. I gotta, I'm going to go learn. So I went two years to get a, a basic science, associates in science. And this teacher, she was my math teacher. And I didn't know what they had done to numbers and why they threw formulas in there with letters and all kinds of symbols. And I was like, oh, this is a corrupt. This is why I don't like money. <laughs> math is the root of all evil i would tell my teacher that and she just took me under her wing and she says you're going to be a tutor and i ended up being a tutor for uh algebra for trigonometry <laughs> took statistics and in, in all this stuff and once you once you learned what all those letters and the mixed up with the numbers right. meant then but all of a sudden was, you're the one <laughs> she was so so caring and she's the one that told me you need to go apply for the medical university. I said, whoa, this lady whacked her head. Why is she crazy? I'm too old. I'm older than most of the professors here. What is she talking about? She wrote a letter of recommendation, got a whole bunch of people that knew me, my teachers and all, and wrote letters of recommendation. I went to Charleston to the university, medical university. Out of 150 people that applied, I thought, Shh, if that's how many people, I'm going to be the last one on the, on the list. No, I got accepted and there was only 10 of us, 10 of us in the class. And what degree was that for? It was for radiation therapy, treating cancer patients. And this is where God taught me how to live by taking care of people that were dying. So this is where I see, I see all the blessings that God put along the way, all the angels that he was placing for me to open up my heart in my soul to what really mattered in life. It was the best experience in the world, but then I got re-injured and that's when, when I ended up, I was a liability then because I was taking 14 medications that were making me a total zombie. I couldn't function and I didn't blame them if that, they couldn't keep me hired. So I got out of there and, but very depressed, very bummed out. And then um, I said, well, 
that's the end of that career. I don't know what to do. And but somehow or another, I kept persisting. Something's going to happen. Something's going to happen. And this is this is how it leads into all this new stuff. But it's little angels that came along the way and started teaching me the things that I didn't get from my own um, environment. And it was it was a very good experience because it kept me holding on to hope. It kept me holding on to love and the potential to be a better person than what I had been. Oh, so, so beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. Now let's talk about having an attitude for gratitude. How does gratitude and having that attitude and gratitude feel, play a part in your journey? Well, that that's where I started with the book. I started saying, and, and I used to be grateful for good things, just good things. Good things happen. And I said, woohoo. <laughs> but it would be short-lived. You know, it's like, I want more good things. And and then I started seeing that that all those bad things that happened to me, I needed to be grateful for because they were lessons. They were lessons that were priming me to be more resilient, to be more strong-willed, and to be more determined to, to overpass and succumb to, to better things instead of drowning in that sorrow of pit of, I can't do anything. So that's, that's how I see that part. So in the little, like having that attitude for gratitude, how do you make gratitude a daily practice? Like how do you switch your brain to making it be part of your daily it's, it's, practice? It's an ongoing thing all day long. I, the moment I wake up and I realize I'm alive, I'm grateful. I'm grateful to be alive. And then I start remembering I'm grateful to be walking. I'm grateful to be seeing and then I go out to nature. I walk barefoot on the on the ground, and I just feel that connection with nature. And then I look up and I say, "Wow, God put all this free surround sound of beauty for me to enjoy." So, so it's just like little things. I and I start noticing more, more of the blessings along the way. So it's kind of like it, it fills that motor of gratitude that you're grateful for everything. And then when something bad happens, okay, okay, no worries. What's this going to teach me? What is this for? Not why me? What the heck? I'm not, I don't deserve this. No, no. It's like there's a reason and a rhyme to what's happening. Now I have to take the lesson from it and examine. So it, it's changed my attitude completely. Yeah. You know, and sometimes we don't end up finding the reason. Sometimes there's times in life in which something happens and we even, we really may not find the reason of the why, especially when it comes to deaths of loved ones. Those are some that it's really hard to find the why. Uh, but it still is something that as we hold on to something, whatever it may be, just kind of shifts our way of navigating. So let's dive into the parts that they're not in the book because these happen right as you were writing the book. The grief that occurred then last year with the death of then your brother at the beginning of your of the year and then your father-in-law at the end of the of last year as you were about to publish and how were you able to navigate your grief journey at the same time as you were birthing this mm -hmm. new phase of your life it's really interesting because um well my parents passed away uh, dad passed away 
2014. So it's been it's been a while, but my brother, I had not seen either one of my brothers since then. Uh, Mom had been placed on hospice, and I think my brother went to the hospital for a little while, but I, I didn't talk to him. And he was very jealous of me because I had been married for a long time. I just completed 40 years of marriage two weeks ago, so I'm very proud of that. But so my brother was always like jealous of me. He's the older one, and, but I always felt like he was the saint. He could do no wrong. So there was always some kind of rivalry there. But all of a sudden, a policeman came to the house looking for next of kin in January of last year. And I was like, what is going on? I had broken my toe, so I couldn't talk to the policeman. My husband went out and talked to him. I said, something's going on because they were out there for a long while. He, My husband come back in and he says, you need to call. You need to call the hospital. And I said, what? He says, your brother. And he didn't tell me anything else. I called the hospital. My brother had uh, contracted COVID in December and he had been in a coma for from December till they called me the end of January. And I was like, Did he live in that area? Did no, he live in the he, same well, time? Well, he oh. used to. He used to. Okay. And that's, as far as I knew, he was still around. We just didn't connect. But he ended up going to Arkansas. So I was okay. in, in the other opposite end in, in Raleigh, North Carolina. And I was like, ah, how do I get over there? I can't fly over there to see him. He's on his deathbed. Something's going to give. We are Catholic. So my first reaction was, I can't go see him. Let me go send a priest to see him. Another miraculous thing, because the priest called me while he was in the hospital seeing my brother. He said, here's your brother. You want to say something? And I did. I said, I forgive you. I still love you. I'm sorry we didn't work out. So that was like we had closure, however it happened. And I was very proud of it because I was able to tell him things I had never told him before. So it was good. It was good. It was a good thing for me. And not only that, God gave me the ability to find a way to get him buried by the beautiful people that I now know. They contributed money, and somehow or another, he got cremated, and I ended up putting them right next to my father in the columbarium here locally, which is something else that I had done for my parents. My parents were on foreclosure. I had moved here from my uh, paradise in Charleston, where I had graduated from the medical university. I didn't want to move because that was our dream home. We rebuilt it, everything, and then I got a call from a perfect stranger that my dad was had had a heart attack and I needed to come to Raleigh to see him that perhaps he was dying. And I was like, who are you and why isn't my mama not calling me? But we had not spoken, my mom and I had not spoken for eight years because the psychiatrist that I had gone through for my major depression said, if you're going to talk to your parents, don't let them make you cry. And it was always very emotional, very very ugly to, to receive a phone call. So I had to cut it off. So we didn't have a communication and I didn't know how to get back with it. So I just kind of let, let God go and, and let him do his thing. But with this, with this grieving, I, I started realizing that God had put me, I had put me along the way to, to help heal some of that. And he had got me to drive all my family back together. Maybe they're not here. But they're in heaven. And I do feel blessings because this priest also said, if your brother wasn't in the state of grace, we can we can give him this uh, ritual. And I was like, okay, 
do what you got to do. And, um, and that was, that was it. But when he got put in that column bearing here locally after me, what am I going to do? I don't have the money to do it. It was like, wow, that was God. That was God. And everyone that, that, that cared for me would stepped up to the plate and gave me that oomph to keep going. So I'm eternally grateful to those people for, for having chipped in and, and, and got that done because I couldn't have, I couldn't have done any of it. It is so amazing how things like this, like what you're sharing regarding pieces of the puzzle kind of coming together that the hand of God is there, but also Marty, not to take away the fact that you had again been a part of a of community of people's lives and touch you yourself had touched other people's lives that then these people stood up, stood up to then help you in that process. So don't don't take away the don't be so humble as <laughs> let me put it that way. How in the terms of of course humbleness is important in our life, but the part that you played a part in that because of who you are and the people the lives that you touched in order to be able to have that impact in those people's lives so that then you were able to then get that help to then be able to kind of bring it full circle for your brother as well. I'm, I'm learning, I'm learning that in, um, and I think that's why I think my mission is to create a legacy of, of hope because I do have something to offer. I, and I'm now realizing and recognizing something I didn't recognize before because of all the, the mumbo jumbo of life that I had made. But, but I think I'm starting to realize it and, and I do want to impact people in a, in a positive way, however I can. So I appreciate yeah. you saying that. Thank you. Yes, no, it is true. And when I met you, one thing that characterized you and characterizes you is your incredible sense of humor. <laughs> so I know that that is sometimes a way that a lot of us, if especially with trauma, we sometimes end up using humor as a way of kind of covering, right? Especially if, as you were saying, if you grow up with insecurities, humor could become this shield but it is also a way of connecting with others too. So I, I know that that's something you have. And we can talk about how that's impacted your life, how humor's played a part also in your journey. But I don't want to forget to also mention then, as you're kind of talking about humor, to make sure your father-in-law as well, because I had asked you that before. Okay. Now, my father-in-law was the one father figure in my life that I really connected from the day I met him and I didn't even know he was going to be my future father-in-law. I had met him in a, in a, we were building a nuclear power plant here outside of Raleigh. And I saw this gentle old soul and he just, he just was so polite and so refreshing. And in, in, this is a woman in a construction site where cat calls, I mamacita, venga, venga, you know, and I'm like, no, no, no. And I had already been in the air force. So I had really grown very accustomed to hearing it but dealing with it in a tough way so this 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 man um kept giving me butterscotch candy and i didn't think anything of it but right before i got that job i had met what was my future husband at the bowling alley i used to work at a bowling alley he came from midnight madness the guys didn't show up that he was going to play bowling with or whatever and and uh, he gave he got my number 
and I carded him, but I didn't even read his name or nothing. I was like, just Google. And I had already been engaged twice, sworn off men, and was going into the Peace Corps. Okay. I'd had no plans or purpose to be married in my book. Well, I met him in May, and he lost my phone number. And I'm like, that is the lamest. Can you think of something more lame? Excuse. And um, he said, I promise you I did. And I was like, yeah, okay. But when I met my father-in-law at the construction site, he and I went to meet him at the house. I was like, oh, wow, you too. What a connection. And uh, he goes, he goes. Not a coincidence. No. I don't believe in coincidences. No, it's, it's a God incident. So he shows me this little wad of paper with half my name on it. And he goes, if you don't believe my son, here's the proof. And I was like, I am so sorry. And then we met in May, got engaged in August, and got married the following February. This from a person that was going in the Peace Corps and didn't want nothing to do with relationships, period. But 40 years, I say he was the prime candidate. And my father-in-law was very nurturing. He was that example living of, of, of a fatherly figure in me in my life and so he passed away but out of the blue all of a sudden um he we saw him thanksgiving he had slowed down he had that back injury but he i think somehow or another the booster shot that he received created chaos in his body and he didn't have a history of anything and then uh, a week before christmas he passed away but he had gone to hospice and we were able to see him before he left we had closure with him too. And the one thing he says, I want to see the book. I want to see the book. And I was like, oh, well. But he went to hospice. He didn't last a day in hospice. On the day that I was publishing my book, it was going to go into Amazon for publication. At the same time I was pushing that button, I got news that my father-in-law had passed. And I was like, what a bittersweet thing to, to, to do in in the middle of the best thing that's happened in my life since my marriage. And what do I do now? Do I throw it all away, throw the book in Amazon and wonder what it's going to do? Or do I become more resilient and share even more reasons why God has prepared me for this mess? And, I, and that's what I did. And within a month, of him passing away within a month of me publishing this book i got an award for my book and and now i can write an and i have another book coming and i can write award-winning author so tell me no one can tell me that i have not been blessed with everything that's happened to me no matter how bad it can be but it's part of life it's part of growing it's part of really holding on to those key figures in your life that make you and shape your soul I love you, Marty. I <laughs> love you. you. Your soul just shines through in how you speak and how you share. And it speaks through in this book as well. And there are just so many aspects of your life that will bring someone else that aspect of hope of being able to keep going. And it's an easy read. So make sure to pick up this book. Let's share how people can find it, Marty, please. It's on Amazon. And if you follow me on, on Facebook under Marty Smith or on Instagram, The Nursery, um, 
we can, I don't know how, but they, if they follow me on Facebook, they'll find my book. <laughs> but well. it, So it, Amazon, Amazon, and let's say the title again, Resilience, Resilience Nourishes the Soul. The Soul. And by I Marty a, Smith. And I have a website, resiliencenourishesthesoul.com. Okay. And they can Perfect. order it straight to Amazon that way too. So Marty, since I had asked you about humor, humor us now and share a little bit of that part of you, of humor and how you feel it's helped you in these moments of tough times. Okay. Uh, one that, that really stands out in me is when they were, they were, you know, checking me out to see if I was a candidate for this fine stimulator. And the doctor kept emphasizing it's it's titanium it's titanium it's going to go on your butt it's going to go on your butt so i'm like okay jane fonda buns of steel i got bun of titanium <laughs> so marty smith titaniums and buns, then, and now, know, but buns of titanium and now <laughs> i see myself because i have to literally i still have this implant in me it's never going to go away and i am partly wired electronically so i have to charge myself like the phone and it's really it's really it's really cool so i say i'm bionic with all kinds of hardware but i'm also electronic because i could poss possibly pass for a robot come the day when <laughs> machines take over i could probably sneak past them. <laughs> did you watch the bionic woman yes Back, oh, that, did you ever watch my hero she's my there hero. you go so, there you go you're the bionic <laughs> yeah was there like a kind of sound when she would no i think that was the bionic man man the bionic man okay there was there was something similar for humor is really does help a lot especially if we're built with that chip right so in these kind of situations it could be like a nervous reaction like things like what you said oh i guess i'll have a bionic and uh with titanium but you know it comes from that but it at the same time it just helps shift your perspective as well so thank you for bringing some humor into this conversation as well so how can people get in touch with you you mentioned facebook again it's marty m-a-r-t-i-e smith and then also yes. linkedin if you if you want to look me up on linkedin wherever you find me you'll see the book because i am it's a big accomplishment for me. I'm very proud of it. But not only that, I want to pay forward everything that it's good that's happened to me and share it with the world. So I appreciate all the people that have supported me and all the people that have read it. And I'm also in the process of translating it into the Spanish version. So that is definitely something that I have not overlooked. I just need the funds to get it. But I promise you we will be out there. And then again, like I said, I'm also working on a second book. And this one is, is really interesting as well because it's called Creative Chaos Warrior. So all that all that stuff that I lived through, how I became a warrior with the armor of God. Wonderful. Well, thank you once again, Marty, for sharing your journey here on the podcast, but especially through your book and inspiring others. For the listeners, go become the reader now of Marty's book. Thank you, Marty. Thank you for having me, and thank you for all that are listening to this, and I hope you gain some, some, something fruitful and something good to, to share with the world.
thank you again so much for choosing to listen today. I hope that you can take away a few nuggets from today's episode that can bring you comfort in your times of grief. If so, it would mean so much to me if you would rate and comment on this episode. And if you feel inspired in some way to share it with someone who may need to hear this, please do so. Also, if you or someone you know has a story of grief and gratitude that should be shared so that others can be inspired as well, please reach out to me. And thanks once again for tuning in to Grief, Gratitude, and the Gray in Between podcast. Have a beautiful day.